time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. You've probably figured this out by yourself by now, but if you own a vulva, did you know that there is a three in five chance that having penetrative sex doesn't result in an orgasm? Enter Zumio. (laughs) Zumio is a -a one-of-a-kind toy with the sole purpose of providing a unique, stimulating experience. And guess what? It doesn't even vibrate. It rotates with a concentrated pinpoint energy that allows you to control how and where you use it. There are four different models specifically designed for your personal intensity preferences. And Zumio is great for vulva mapping and exploring the rest of your body, whether that is solo or with a partner. Check out www.myzumio.com slash Rachel. That's R-A-C-H-E-L for a special discount for the Right Conversations listeners and take control of your orgasms today. Hello, friends, and welcome back to The Right Conversations. Uh, Today's episode is called A Conversation About Coming Out Later in Life with Amanda Catherine Loy. And this human being has played a very, very large role in my life. Um, I want today's episode to be about her and her journey around coming out. And I find it very important to be transparent when I have guests on that I know personally, I have named things like, oh, this is my friend so-and-so, or, you know, this is not someone that I know in real life. And Amanda is someone that I have known for years now. And we have had a very interesting, uh, relationship over over time. And I just want to plug if you want to hear about that dynamic and our friendship um, ending, basically, I guess now it, it could be a pause, but at the time it definitely felt like ending. Um, go check out episode 148 of Amanda's podcast. It's called the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast. Um, and you can hear about it there for full context. Um, so anyway, that is all a precursor to say, Amanda, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I love the word interesting because I think that's quite apt. (laughs) Yeah. What? It's true. It's true. Yeah. There's many layers. We are a layered cake. (laughs) We are a very layered, gluten-free layered cake. Of course. Always gluten-free for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Amanda and I met in the online space when I lived in Denver, um, which is wild. Um, And so much has changed for both of us. And when so many of you asked for a conversation around coming out later in life, I was like, oh, I know who I'm calling because it was basically because of Amanda that I wound up coming out publicly as bisexual. Yeah. 
So I know. Yeah. Tell, tell the people, first of all, who, like who you are, just give whatever <laughs> personal, professional, like who yeah. are you? <laughs> yeah. No, it's always such a funny question to answer. I know. Um, yeah. I mean, I work wise, I live kind of my life into pretty big camps. I am an artist, an actor, a storyteller. Um, and I've been doing that for basically my entire life. Um, and professionally since college. And um, I also am a trauma-informed coach and facilitator and podcast host, as Rachel mentioned, um, and have been doing that since about 2015 when I started my business. So I very much live in those worlds, both professionally and also just personally. Like they're such an extension of who I am and what matters to me and how I lead. Um, and then I'm also, you know, I live in Chicago, but I'm a Canadian. Um, I've lived here for 13 years and love it so, so, so much. It's the only reason I'm still in the United States is because of the computer community that is in this city. Um, and yeah, I'm a big goofball. Like anyone who knows me in real life will know that I have the craziest laugh and that I just really am all about like living life moment to moment. And if you are familiar with my space, you probably also know me to be like recently divorced um, or in the process, I guess I should say, of going through a divorce. Um, it's not legal yet, even though we are very, very much no longer together. Um, and so that's also kind of been a through line of my, my, my musings and my shares um, as of late over on my page as well and navigating all of the waves. So yeah. I guess that's like a short summary. <laughs> that, that was a beautiful summary. A oh, beautiful summary. Um, it's really interesting. Amanda, I, I'm a little bit older than Amanda, which I always forget. Um, but we've had very parallel journeys in the way yeah. of coming out around the same time. Again, even though Amanda was younger, it was like literally at the same time, like moment in time. Yeah. Um, we both started the non-monogamy journey around the same time. Um, we took very different paths with that. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so let's dive into this coming out as, as queer later in life. So let's like start as a kid. Like I, I mm. I think so many people that ask this question and want to hear about coming out later in life is like, did you know when you were younger? Did you just hold it in? Did you not come out because of this? Like, did you figure yeah. it out later? Like all of those questions. So let's yeah. start with like young Amanda and like bring us up until a certain point. <laughs> yeah. I wish it was like a cooler story, you know, um, because <laughs> I feel like you know, and you and I have talked about this a lot offline about how our, our even knowing and experiences were so different when it came to our like coming out journeys. Like I had no idea and I was not raised in purity culture. I was raised in like very open liberal household, very where education was like at the root and psychology and like human nature were very much encouraged and understood and Canada is uh, for the whole on the whole and I, I grew up in Toronto like a much more progressive kind of almost like a decade ahead of the U.S. in terms of a special social especially social um 
justice issues. And I grew up doing theater, you know, and, and, and singing and was surrounded by, you know, gay boys, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. in my later years, um, doing musicals like towards the end of my high school journey. Um, and then I moved here for musical theater. Like I studied musical theater and psychology. So, you know, the amount of gay boys in my class were so plentiful. Now, the, the thing that I find really interesting is like, I had no idea, no concept of my own sexuality, of the fluidity of it um, for the longest time. And I think part of that was twofold for me, but I think a big part of that is I didn't have any in-person or media representation of queer women. Mm. And so it was like, oh yeah, like this is a path for men. Interesting. So almost as though like the LGBTQ community was like the G community from your vision. Yeah. Well, cause I just didn't see, I didn't have that modeled to me, you know? And, and that's honestly also why non-monogamy came into my life so much later. And even when it did come into my life and when I started actively pursuing that and discovered my own identity as a relationship anarchist and very much felt like pulled to polyamory, I was like, but I've never seen this modeled, you know? And so I think because I, I live and have lived my life so much of like, if you can see it, you can believe it. You know, it's why I've never really had much of an uh, affinity or association to any religion because it just all felt not concrete or real. And I'm a big visionary. Like that's how I, I live my life. But for my own sense of identity, I was like, if I can't witness it, experience it and know it, then how is it real? Um, and mm. so, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't on my radar. And, you know, I think because I also am not gay, I am very, very bi and, and very much attracted to men. Um, it was just like, oh yeah, but like, if you're attracted to men and bisexuality too, growing up, you know, was very much considered not a thing, like not real. And so I was like, well, I wouldn't have this pull to men be so attracted to men if I was queer. So like, yeah, of course I'm straight. Like there's just no way around that. And you pair that with then also being in a relationship with my former husband from like, we met when I was 19, right? And so I was like, well, there's a fuck off in my forehead now. And I've like, you know, found the person I'm getting married to that I want to share a life with. So the, the idea of even questioning what I had always believed to be true when it came to my sexual identity felt sort of like pointless in a way um for a really long time because because you were in a heterosexual monogamous relationship yeah it almost felt like a a futile exercise to even consider yeah i mean it did not even spark Interesting for the longest time. And the only reason it ever did was because I started to have like fantasies, you know, sexual fantasies that I would 
notice that would come up like when I was masturbating or I would talk about it with my friends. I always was super sex positive growing up, like talking about sex with my friends. I was like the first one to bring up, like, what have you guys done? Like, what positions do you like? Like I was that person. And I will never forget like watching Orange is the New Black and my friend Caroline was like, damn, like Ruby Rose would turn me gay. And she is like as straight as they come, my friend Caroline. And here I was being like, yeah, me too. But like, I kind of meant it, but because I was also watching and seeing so many of my friends who are very straight say those things, I was like, well, that's just the straight, you know, straight women do that. Straight women Mm. like look at women and are like, I would, I would totally screw this person for like a one night fun experience. Right. It was more of this like fantasy life, um, like taboo excitement, which like I'm all about, (laughs) you know, stepping into the taboo. And so for me, like, that's how it started to sort of enter my sphere in any way. But even then I wasn't, you know, Kevin would ask me because, um, I was my former husband and like, he would ask me all the time, like, you talk about this as if like, there's an attraction here. And I'm like, oh yeah, but like, that's, it's not, I, I'm still super straight. I just think she's hot. Uh, Well, and, and to be fair, I, I, I hate this phrasing to be fair. I wish there was different words for that. Um, but for lack of me trying to figure that out right now, to be fair, like a lot of messaging is that, and a lot of people can be heterosexual and find someone of the same gender. Completely. completely. So like that, that in itself is not like, Oh, Oh, you know, like that, that wouldn't give me pause. Like, right. Yeah. And it didn't give me pause. Like, Frankly, I didn't even officially own my sexuality, come out publicly. Like I came out on my, on my podcast and I think it was 2019, but I'd come out to myself in 2018, but it only happened after five months of being in a relationship with a woman for the first time. Like even then, after okay, like so wait, rewind, sex- rewind, <laughs> <laughs> we just jumped ahead. So yeah. how did we go from orange is the new black to five months into a relationship with a woman? Yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, conversations continue to happen behind closed doors and, I, you know, very much again from this, like, I am sexually interested in trying different things and really was feeling exploratory and the idea of having a threesome with a woman was like very, very exciting to me. And I talked about it a lot with my former husband and he was like, I'm super on board. I don't know who, who wouldn't be. Um, I mean, I guess a lot of people, but to me, I was like, heck yeah, let's go. Mm. Um, but also, and this is actually also a big part of, I think why I wasn't able to own my sexuality as queer sooner was I also am a demisexual and it has, Owning that identity has actually probably been the thing that has empowered me in my own knowing of self more than any identity owning I've ever um, had. And so I think, you know, I, I didn't know that term existed for a very long time. And for a while, it was more like, well, I can't really do this because I don't feel safe just like going and like, or comfortable, like just going to a bar and picking up a random person you know, like how it's shown in the movies. Can you, <laughs> you know? just share how you experience demisexuality? Because I yeah. don't know if everyone listening will know what that means. No, and that makes sense because I think that there's a big lack of, of education around this space, particularly. Um, and it's 
this is it. This is my definition of it. This is how I experience it. Like you said, um, there are kind of multiple facets of it. I think that exists, but it's, it's considered under the ACE umbrella. So the asexual umbrella. Um, and what I think took me so long to identify this as my own is like, I am a very sexual being. Um, I would even consider myself kind of on the like mega sexual train once I'm in partnership with somebody. Um, but I do not feel like sexual attraction to somebody until and or if there is an emotional connection. And for me, that can take, it, it depends on the person. Um, and so the timeline of that can look very different, but it always has to do for me with trust and safety and comfort. And that like, once that exists, then it's like, heck yeah, let's fuck like bunnies. But until, and or if that emotional connection is present, like I don't even feel the pull to have sex with somebody, which I thought was just normal. It's why I remember when, when we, when we were early in our friendship and we were talking about our sex drives and about like how you move through life, I was like, how, how I don't understand. Like, and like when people would have casual sex or one night stands, like it truly did not compute to me because physically it felt so impossible. And so for a long time, you know, I kind of was like, oh, I'm just a prude or, oh, I'm not sex positive. But then I was like, but I am, I've always been really sex positive in my friendships, in my relationships. I just have a different timeline and how like, it's like really like a light switch gets flicked once that emotional connection and safety exists. Um, and so you know, yes, there was that present in the context of the idea of having a threesome because my former husband was going to be a part of that experience and that I felt very safe there, you know, there was trust there. And so that helped. But even the idea of just like it being a rant, I was like, it has to be somebody I know. But then I was like, I don't want to do this with like a really good friend because what if that like fucks things up? And so it was just one of those things that got put on the back burner for so long and was sort of like, if, and when a situation arises that makes sense and feels good, we shall do it, you know? <laughs> but I really honestly never thought it would. In the very first episode of this podcast, we talked about how to talk about sex and other intense topics with your partner. And I mentioned working with a company that I love and have partnered with called Best Self Co. They're the company that I created the Intimacy After Dark deck with. Well, I love the team over there. And as a thank you for listening to this podcast, we are combining forces to give one lucky listener per episode a free Intimacy After Dark deck. What do you have to do to enter? Visit bestself.co slash Rachel. Plus, don't forget that they are offering all my listeners 30% off the new After Dark deck. Again, visit bestself.co and use promo code Rachel. Yeah. So, so okay. So you so find how yourself. how did we get to the, yeah. the relationship? Um, yeah, it's, it happened kind of by, by happenstance. I will say there was a, a, a step that took place before this, which was um, I... I really felt like I was not straight, but I also am such a tactile kinetic person that I need to like experience something to know. Um, and my former husband at the time suggested that we go to a strip club together and like, you know, buy a, a lap dance room thing where you can like go in and, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and just see how that experience was, you know? 
And I'm really glad we took that step because it was a very clear cut, like, this is what this is going to look like. This is what this is going to be. And immediately I was like, oh yeah, I'm all in. You know, it was the first time that I remember having like, (laughs) as one of my best friends would say, fanny flutters um, (laughs) um, or vagina tingles. Um, And in the context of something that was sexual without being physical, you know, Um, and in a safe environment where I was like, I know what this is. I feel safe here. I'm with a person I feel safe with, you know, and I was really attracted to the person who was dancing. And so I was like, okay, like I could totally see myself, you know, being in the real world and taking this a step further with someone who's not a sex worker. Um, And so, yeah. And then, you know, the, it just sort of came to be very unexpectedly. We had a mutual friend who was Polly and had a friend who was Polly who was like actively looking for a couple and thought we'd get along and introduced us. And then we ended up grabbing dinner and like really vibing. And it just, you know, one thing led to the other and we had sex. (laughs) So after your first sexual encounter, not the strip club, but like a, yeah, like unquote real world, your, yeah. 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 What was your process? Like, how did you process that? And did you then say, okay, I'm going to take on this label? Did you no, like, it what, took me what a while. That? Yeah. I think what was tricky for me was it was, I was processing two things at once. It was my sexual identity, but also like my relationship orientation identity, because all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm not monogamous and I can be really happy in monogamous dynamics. But if I continue to see this person, I will probably fall in love with them. And I have the capacity for that. And so all of a sudden I was like deep diving into so much polyamory rhetoric and trying to understand what the fuck was happening. And it was really this like roller coaster time. It was really positive for the most part, but it was this deep self-exploration. And it, it almost actually, I would say like my sexual identity felt less important to navigate because that was within myself. Whereas I was worried that not understanding my relationship dynamic needs and not getting clear on that within the context of my relationship with my husband was going to potentially lead to like problems for us. And so that felt almost like more important to figure out first. Um, and so I actually really came out to myself as both, both at the time, like polyamorous and queer kind of, uh, well, it was bisexual and polyamorous that I like came out to myself with in 2018. What was it about the labels? Because I know some people really, really like try on a label and they feel so comfortable and it's like, holy shit, I'm at home. And some people are like, I feel trapped. I'm not a can of soup. Like, get the (laughs) fuck off me. What was it for you about these labels? What did they do for you? I mean, I think I have a love-hate relationship with labels. Like, sometimes I think that they are really, really important and have been for me. And other times they can be really stifling when you outgrow them, right? And so I think always having the perspective and the awareness that, like, you know, your your relationship to your identity is like a living document that you can constantly re-examine and adjust as you discover yourself, is a beautiful thing. And I think I had gotten to a point in my own journey of self-awareness and self-discovery where I was really not, I did, I wasn't putting myself in boxes anymore by that point. Right. And so 
anything of self-discovery was a liberation experience. Um, and so those labels for me was really just like, frankly, more of a way to like talk to other people, right. For Mm. them to have an understanding of what I am and how I lead through the world. Um, but even then, you know, like using the term bisexual is so misunderstood. And so I often found myself like, no, 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 that's not what that is, you know, and having having to explain even further. So, yeah. Okay. So you put these labels on, you're out in the world. How did people in your life react that had known you for a long time that knew you in a shorter period? Like what was the impact in your world? Yeah. Honestly, not massive. And that's, I think the part that is both like comforting and also kind of was hard for me. Mm. Um, the, the, the comforting piece of it was that, you know, I have really amazing people in my world who were just like, okay, cool. You know, and the, the coming out process for me was, a, was like, I had a really privileged experience in that. And even though I had a few family members who like didn't understand, I would say actually more so on the like polyamorous piece of things. Um, it was something they were willing to support because it was me and something they were willing to like ask questions about and, and have a curious heart around and eventually have like very much come to, you know, around that stuff. So that was the comforting piece. The, the hard piece was it was such a liberating life altering self-discovery for myself. And yet I was still in a hetero passing relationship Mm. and still existing and very much still do exist in a hetero passing body, which again, holds a lot of privilege in the world, but it also, uh, uh, is a tough way to navigate through the world because you're constantly being seen as something you're not. And my own like generational trauma that I have spent a lot of time working on in therapy and unpacking is uh, hiding and specifically like moving through the world as something other than your, your true self. Mm-hmm. And to know this about myself, but still exist in the world and seem to be something other than what I am is something I struggled with then continuously struggle with today. Um, and has been a really interesting piece of my own identity puzzle, I guess. How would you describe that struggle? I've never been asked that question. Um, don't you love Chicago and the sirens? Welcome to life. Love it. Yep. <laughs> Um, I feel like the first time we did a podcast episode on my podcast, you had that in New York. And Probably. Yeah. I mean, I like our, our cities are noisy. I know. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, it feels like a constant fight and also a constant like losing battle all at the same time. You know? Um, yeah. I feel like I have to perpetually come out and even when I do that, a lot of the time, like me coming out, even in queer spaces can be tricky because being so clear in my identity as, yeah, queer, like a queer, I would say of all the identities, queer feels the most right. Like it, it, I exist in that space, not just 
sexually, but also like politically, just in terms of how I move through the world. Um, that just feels very much in alignment. Um, but you know, I like men and I like to have sex with men as well as, you know, women and non-binary folks and, and anybody and everybody, you know, given that I'm attracted to them and that there's a connection. And so it can be really pressuring to like not be in relationship with men, um, because of how anti-man a lot of the queer community is specifically like anti-cis men. Um, and it also, it can feel unsafe at times to enter queer spaces as a bisexual person mm-hmm. um, because there's still a lot of biphobia and a lot of bi erasure. And um, I feel like I have to fight every single day to not be erased in my own body and just like my own life. And that's, that's a fight I don't think I was expecting to have to fight, you know? And, and I don't know how much of that is just like in my head, <laughs> which is probably part of it, but it's, yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky for sure. And I think a start, the wave is starting to change on that. You know, I think more and more people are talking about bisexuality and its validity, but it's still both in, in hetero communities and in queer communities seen as like not really real. And it's, it's hard to live in that identity and then have that narrative. So if you, what, uh, man, I just had like five questions come into my head and then like they all tried to come out of my mouth at one time. It was like, what has been one of the best things about coming out later in life and what has been something that is challenging for you about coming out later in life? Yeah. Ooh. Um, I mean, I think I am really grateful that I don't, I don't know. This is a tricky question. I think for me, like I came out at a time where I was so sure of me and I had really done a lot of like the work around, um, my own knowing and being really clear in that and having, um, yeah, just deep self-awareness. And so I knew that no matter how I was received, I was going to be okay because I was okay within myself. And I think that when you come out when you're younger and you're just like figuring your shit out, you know, like very, very, uh, it's a very stressful time to like be coming into your identity at, at all. And having any backlash during that time, it can really be like monumentally disruptive to growth, I think. And I I know that I've seen that in a lot of people's stories. And so I'm grateful that, you know, me coming into it was happening at a time where I had that knowing. And also like, you know, I'm really grateful that I I had that experience and was coming out in the context of my marriage. You know, it was Mm -hmm. a very safe space to do it. And I was very supported by him in that experience. Like I'm forever grateful but the conversations we had leading up to me figuring, I mean, he was the one who was like, Hey, do, is there something you want to explore here? Like he was really encouraging, you know, and was always so supportive of me and my identity. And like, I will never forget the first pride and like him being right by my side. Like it was just really special to have that experience. So that I'm really grateful for. I, I think 
coming out later in life is a really trippy experience. And, um, on a lot of levels, I think one, you're going through like the queer teenage years, but like in your fucking twenties or thirties. And it really does feel like you're going through puberty again, which is something that people don't really talk about. Um, second adolescence. Yeah. And it's wild. I mean, it is, it can feel really, really like debilitating and confusing and like everything you thought you knew about your body is like, wow. And you're like going through like an identity crisis while knowing your identity. And you're like, how do I dress? And you know, I mean, it's just so many things. And so that piece of it is really, really tricky. And also like there's an anger and a sadness that at least I experienced. And I know a lot of folks I support because I, I tend to support and coach many folks who are LGBTQ and have come out later in life and are also in many of them in non-traditional relationship models. And there's this, this anger and this sadness and this grief almost of all of the years where you were playing into what society, you know, has, has normalized this compulsory heteronormative space where it's like, oh, if I had only known, what would my experiences be like, right? If I had only known what would love, what could love have been like for me, like to experience that. And there are a lot of folks, and I didn't, I've not had this personally, but there are a lot of folks I know who like were never able to feel sexually fulfilled in their relationships until they came out. And then it was like this massive sexual liberation for them. And it's like, oh my gosh, like what have I been missing for decades of my life, you know? And it can be, yeah, there's, there's just gonna be a lot of, a lot of anger to like the fucking patriarchy, you know, which like the anger is real every day, but, uh, especially when you're coming out later in life and, and rectifying with how much of your own personal existence and identity societal norms have taken from you. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a lot to digest. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. So first of all, thank you. I know that I have poked and prodded a bit and I just appreciate you going with it. Always. Um, <laughs> I'm curious if you could speak to, I have two more questions for you and then we'll wrap up. Okay. If you could speak to yourself in that very first moment that you started questioning, am I straight? Mm. What would you tell her? I would say keep digging. I like, I had so many moments where I just like questioned and then it turned it off, you Mm -hmm. know? And I would just say like, don't be scared to keep digging. Like, this is not a scary path. This is a, this is a path that will lead you to a lot of liberation and a lot of like things making sense finally. Um, and it, it, I mean, I still have moments like that. I'm like four plus years into my coming out, you know, timeline. And I, I still am perpetually having these like aha moments about why I am here and what makes sense for me and all of these things. And I would just, yeah, I would just tell her like, it's okay to sit in this feeling and like let yourself experience it fully instead of Mm -hmm. witness like a hint of it and then 
immediately push it down because it's just not something you think applies to you, you know? Thank you. And then the next, the very last thing is kind of the outward version of that. So if somebody is listening to this and maybe they're interested in exploring their sexuality, maybe they just learned what fluid sexuality means. I'm Mm. currently, I know that podcasts live on an infamy, so this may not be correct as you're listening to it, whoever you are right now. Um, But I'm currently running this sexuality incubator and so many of the humans in there didn't understand that fluid sexuality is both the idea that it changes over time and can change over time and also changes in context. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And that those are mm -hmm. both aspects of fluid sexuality. It could be, or it could be, and, but they're both there. Yeah. So if you, if someone is sitting here listening and they're like, wow, okay, either they saw themselves in part of your story or frankly, they didn't see themselves in any piece, (laughs) but they're like, yeah, but I want to explore this. Yeah. What advice would you give someone listening that wants to dip their toe in or jump in the deep end? Yeah. I would say there's like, for one, there's no right way. And I will say that till I'm fucking blue in the face all the time, every day. Like there's, there's only your right way. So if jumping into the deep end is the way that feels right, like fucking jump. And if a very small sliver toe is the way (laughs) that feels good to you, like Mm -hmm. that's, that's good too. So I would just start by saying that. And I think the biggest thing and the thing that I think has, I've witnessed the most folks really feel supported in their own processing of this is having a safe container to explore this, whether that is by speaking to somebody or being coached by somebody that understands this space and where you can feel seen and heard by a like-minded soul, right? Mm -hmm. Or where maybe you have like I don't, a friend or a person or even hire a sex worker mm-hmm. where you can safely in a container that makes sense to you physically explore, you know, like I, I really, really believe that if I hadn't had that experience at the strip club, that I would not have had the courage to explore this further for myself. I really needed that kinetic experience. And I also like think about and, and, and had a lot of experiences with my friends, you know, when I was younger and had no concept that this was a part of my world where like our intimacy levels were not sexual, you know, by nature, but they were intimate Mm -hmm. and intimate beyond most friendships. Um, and that felt really normal to me. And so explore what it's like if you have a friendship or a safe container to hold another person's hand to cuddle with another person and see how that feels to, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Like explore it in a way that makes sense to you. And sometimes that's through books. I know there are a lot of, you know, but, but I'm like very much a kinetic person. I needed to feel it. And I know some people really, really need that too. So just trust that there's no right way, just your way. And, you know, you'll figure it out. Beautiful. Oh, Amanda, thank you so much. 
Thank you yeah. for coming on as a human today and uh, not as a coach, not as a <laughs> creator, not even as a, a storyteller in the way that, I mean, obviously you were telling a story, but not yeah. in the way that you do professionally. I am yeah. so grateful to just have Amanda on and I... I'm just very grateful for you sharing your story. I know that it's going to resonate with so many, so many people. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I feel like, you know, yes, I am all those things you listed, but if we don't lead with our humanness first, like what is the point, you know, like that's, that's, that's how we are in the world. First and foremost, we're just human beings just as messy as each other, you know, figuring it out as long we go and, you know, can list off all the accomplishments, all of the, the ways in which we hold space for other people. But at the end of the day, if we can't meet each other human to human, like I don't really see a point. So um, I appreciate the same from you. Thank you, darling. Yeah. And again, friends, if you want to connect with Amanda, check out her podcast, um, follow her on Instagram. She is at Amanda Catherine Loy. I'll link everything in the show notes and we'll see you later. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.